four slides that I want to show you before we begin. And I know we're having a little technical glitches back there, but we're going to get through it just fine. Barbara's having to work with two computers, and so she's multitasking in a way that only women can. It's an uncanny gift. So I'll just keep on stalling and talking until kind of it gets going. These first three slides are slides of billboards. Just wait about 10 seconds and then advance. to dim the light up there so that the screen can be seen. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 10 through 12. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling for the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Wisdom is best understood as sound judgment. And the right application of knowledge to bring about the best result. One scholar refers to wisdom as the artful method that proceeds from an accurately informed mind. Consider Solomon's wisdom in dealing with the well-known story involving two prostitutes our sister just read. Solomon had to figure out who the child belonged to. His accurately informed mind told him that the real mother would love that child more than the other and that she would sacrifice for its well-being. And this led to the rather artful method of suggesting the child be cut in two for each to have a portion. The real mother insisted the child be given to the other woman to avoid the child being cut in two. And is it not amazing this morning especially that the only specific example we have of Solomon's wisdom in Scripture has to do with the death of one infant and the potential death of another. And you do what you will with that. Wise up is an exhortation that most of us over 40 are familiar with. To wise up, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is to start to understand a situation or fact and believe what you hear about it, even if it is difficult or unpleasant. This morning we need to wise up about abortion. 
We need to start to understand the situation and the facts about abortion and to believe what we hear about it, even if it is difficult or unpleasant. The text gives us wisdom to respond to the abortion situation and to the facts about abortion today. And I expect that my message is going to be difficult to hear, and I acknowledge at the outset that it's going to be very unpleasant for some, if not many. It's not my goal to be so. My purpose this morning is to align our hearts and mind with Christ's own. And to do that, I will explain the text, and then I'll, I'll apply the text to the practice of abortion, and I will outline what the church's response must be. This is not a matter of opinion. There is no room for disagreement. It really is that crystal clear. The true church, the body of Christ, cannot tolerate the slightest deviation from the truth about abortion. And yet it does. Cowardice, equivocation, and unnecessary lack of moral clarity on the issue have contributed to an unimaginable loss of innocent human life and depths of agonizing emotional and spiritual pain for many men and women who have participated in abortion. Beginning in verse 10, at times we discover weakness when what we need is strength. Strength of will, strength of character, difficulty, adversity, stressful events expose our condition. Whether it's something happening in our life or happening in the lives of those around us we see taking place, every one of us, at some point in life, has given into peer pressure in some measure. We may cave into majority opinion rather than suffer the abuse of others. We do a thing or fail to do a needful thing because of the discomfort it either does cause or that we perceive will cause. The context of verses 10 to 12 indicate that the day of adversity is a considerable and obvious injustice. And to not act in the face of considerable and obvious injustice demonstrates weakness of character and lack of moral courage. Verse 11, wisdom says, act. To not do so is unwise for the reason given in verse 12, which I'll get to. To rescue those being taken away to death is wise. To hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter is wise. In fact, it is more accurate to read, Oh, that you would hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. Step in and rescue. Act to prevent one or many from being taken to death. And we readily surmise the text is describing innocent victims. The person or persons cannot help themselves. They are defenseless. They are overpowered. Dr. Bruce Waltke comments, The text assumes the killing is a crime against God. Think about the great stories in our Bibles. Stories of people who risked it all to rescue those being taken away to death and those stumbling to slaughter. See the wisdom in their efforts, the creative ways they intervene. The Hebrew midwives refused to kill the boys born to Hebrew women because they feared God. Jonathan risked his life to prevent his beloved friend David from being killed by Saul. When the wicked Jezebel, wife and master over Ahab, was slaying the prophets, Obadiah hid 
100 prophets in 50 caves and there gave them bread and water at the risk of his own life. Esther risked her own life, appearing before the king without an invitation to intervene and save the Jewish people. A Roman official saved Paul from an angry mob that would have torn him apart as well as anyone that tried to save him. The recent history of the world is full of wonderful stories of rescue. Hundreds of organizations and individuals acted to rescue Jews from the Holocaust, risking their own lives and freedoms. In America, the Underground Railroad functioned to rescue slaves, risking their own lives and freedoms. Today, there are former military and police officers risking their own lives, going up against the cartels to rescue those that are taken into our country and sold into sexual slavery. Verse 12. The excuse of ignorance is unacceptable. Notice the we in the verse, as if the entire community did not see the injustice. God knows that they know. God weighs the heart. He looks deep inside the intellect the heart and soul of people. See, humans have an unusable, unusual ability to insulate themselves from the reality of a given situation. We can create a virtual, though unrealistic, safe space deep inside. And we let nothing penetrate that space, not even our own conscience. Other groups and individuals also supply some of the emotional, spiritual, and intellectual bricks and mortar to construct the edifice. But God, in a manner of speaking, says, you may have locked out everyone from that place, even to some extent your own self. But I, the Lord, will drag you kicking and screaming if necessary to that place to confront that which you thought you hid away and shielded yourself from. I will hold you accountable. God says, you can expect that I will repay you according to your deeds. In other words, when you are being led away and oppressed, I will not rescue you. Again, Dr. Welke, if the son turns a blind eye, because this is being written from a man to a son, if the son turns a blind eye to helping victims and does nothing to help them, the protector of life will turn a blind eye to him in crisis. Count on it. So there the text is rather plain and simple to understand. So how does it wise us up to abortion? What is the application? Well, first and foremost, if the unborn is not a human being, then we have no application to make. If the unborn is not a human being, I'm wasting our time. If the unborn is not a human being, then there is nothing wrong with 61,021,667 and counting abortions that have taken a place since Roe v. Wade. In 1973. In fact, if the unborn is not human, there's no need for the general public to know or even care about how many abortions are being performed. How many of us know how many benign tumors are removed annually in America? How many of us know the average number of warts frozen off each day in America? I'm not to sound crass, but generally speaking, except for the medically curious and professionals in the field, we don't care so much about those things, do we? But if the unborn is fully human, then everything else that we hear so much about is nothing but noise and deflection. If the unborn is fully human, then abortion is not about choice. It is not about privacy. It is not about reproductive rights or so-called reproductive justice. 
It is not about a woman's body because the unborn, if it is a full human being, is not the woman's body. Therefore, my task, though it may or may not be necessary in the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ to convince that the unborn is fully human, it's still a duty that I have to do it in order to summon us to the task that God has called us to because if statistics are right, there may be people in here that aren't convinced that the unborn is fully human. From the moment of conception... Only then can we apply the text. Scripture, philosophy, and science are in full agreement and beyond any refutation. The unborn is fully human from the moment of conception. Genesis 1.27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. and female, he created them. Now that does not just apply to Adam and Eve, but all humankind. For Genesis 9.6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, my man, his... Blood shall be shed, for God made man in his own image. So we see there that it's beyond Adam and Eve. At that point, there were many humans. Every human is made in the image of God by God through the secondary agency of sexual procreation. John 1.3 All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. The unborn is not merely a biological product of sex. As far as Scripture is concerned, that unborn is thereby the sovereignty of God. James 3.9 With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And Jeremiah 1.4 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So there is no time at which we are not image of God. Life begins at conception. There is no other time at which it can begin. Let's take a look at science. This is from a leading embryology textbook. Embryology, the study of embryos. A zygote is the beginning of a new human being. Human development begins at fertilization, the process during which a male gamete or sperm unites with a female gamete or oocyte, egg, to form a single cell called a zygote. This highly specialized, totipotent cell marks the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. This is Embryology 101. This is not an opinion, and this is not theory. A new human begins its development, a development that continues throughout our entire life. And the zygote is not a fertilized egg. That is a misnomer, a thing misnamed. That is used by the pro-choice people to continue to make it sound as if we're still dealing with a woman's body, but it is not. Scott Klusendorf says... Embryos are not fertilized eggs for the simple reason that the sperm and egg die in the act of fertilization. That is, each surrenders its its constituents into the makeup of the new living organism, in this case, the human embryo. So it's not a potential human being. It is a human being with potential. I took the following from a human development cheat sheet that I found online. Zygote, human development within the first 24 hours. Embryo. After 24 hours of life, when cell division has begun. Fetus, a development stage following eight weeks of life. Infant, up to 12 months after birth. Toddler, one to three years after birth. Adolescent, the time after birth when conversation is exchanged for incoherent grunts and parents are treated as a cross between an ATM and a taxi service. So we're all on a developmental continuum 
that leads right up through adulthood, old age. Now, at this point, I would typically prefer, in a message like this, to show you very graphic images of an abortion at the eight-week developmental stage. And then at later stages also. And I suppose I shouldn't even call them very graphic because there are no non-graphic images of abortion. But to better understand the Jewish Holocaust, graphic photos were used and are still used. Photos of dead bodies stacked up by the hundreds so we never forget. So we never let it happen again. Several years ago, Time magazine ran an article on starvation in the African continent. And on the cover of the magazine was a severely starved little boy with a swollen belly and barely covered flesh on his bones. And not far from the boy, on this uh, cracked sand where a lake once was desert, was a vulture. Just waiting and anticipating its next meal. And the cover of the magazine title read, Look and Try Not to Care. I was debating a man online about abortion. And he said, photos of abortions are merely sensational to manipulate emotions. I said, no, they're not. Photos of what a thing actually is are not sensational. They are what they are. Photos of aborted human beings smash right through the insulated safe space I referred to earlier. They penetrate the conscience because they communicate unfiltered, undisguised truth. And as much as I would, in a sense, like to show them today, I cannot in good judgment do that because there are children here. And I would ask you to cover their eyes or have them turn away, but, you know, sort of what if? And and I don't have anyone guarding the doors in the event someone just walks in at this late point in my message. But make no mistake, under better guarded circumstances, I would warn you first of the very graphic nature of the photo and give you the opportunity not to look, though I would also dare you not to look. I encourage you to look up those images on your own sometime. The humanity of the unborn will quickly become settled science for you. Okay, coming to our slide here, uh, just looking at this from the angle of philosophy, there are only four categories of difference between what you are now and what you were as an embryo. That's it. Four categories of difference between what you are now and what you were as an embryo. Some of you may be familiar with the acronym SED. This is not my creation. This philosophical, well-worn tool of pro-life apologetics was first developed by Stephen Schwartz in his book, The Moral Question of Abortion. Although I did put together some of the slides, you'll see the pictures. But the acronym stands for size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. We have the next slide then. Size. You are, I'm sorry, you were smaller as an embryo. But since when does your body size determine value? Large humans are not more valuable than small humans. Therefore, we cannot reason that the size of the embryo is a meaningful distinction when it comes to determining whether it is as worthy of protection as any other human being. Next slide, please. Level of development. True, you were less developed as an embryo. But six-month-olds are less developed than teenagers, both, both physically and mentally, but we don't think we can kill them. Therefore, we cannot reason that the level of development of the embryo is a meaningful distinction when it comes to determining whether it is as worthy of protection as any other human. Next slide, please. Environments. 
Where you are has no bearing on what you are. How does a journey of eight inches down the birth canal suddenly change the essential nature of the unborn from a being we can kill to one we can't? And how about this? During fetal surgery for defective diaphragms, the fetus is removed from the womb, fixed, and then placed back in. Does the fetus go from non-human to human, then back to non-human during the surgery? Or riddle me this, Batman. Suppose a pregnant woman flies from the United States, where viability is 22 weeks, so viability is that point at which a a fetus can live outside the womb, so-called. Suppose a pregnant woman flies from the United States, where viability is 22 weeks, to a third world country, where viability is birth, because they don't have the technology for that little one to survive outside the womb, and then returns. Does her child go from human to non-human, back to human again? Therefore, we cannot reason that the location of the embryo is a meaningful distinction when it comes to determining whether it is worthy of protection as any other human. We can thank Scott Klusendorf for some of these things. And then, lastly, the last thing that sort of, the last category that differentiates what you are now, regardless of your age, to what you were as an embryo, is your degree of dependency. Sure, you depended on your mother for survival. But since when does dependence on another human mean we can kill you? Consider conjoined twins, for example. Or some of those other examples of dependent people. Dependent on other people. And this is why the Supreme Judicial Court was dead wrong back in 1973. The court determined that since we cannot decide when human life really begins, or when the unborn is fully human, we'll decide it's at the point of viability. When the unborn can medically survive outside the mother's womb. Totally arbitrary and random. You know, in the movie I, Robot, the character Detective Spooner, played by Will Smith, says to biophysicist Susan Calvin, you're the dumbest smart person I ever met. And I feel that way any time I think about the Supreme Court justices and the decision that they came down with in 1973 and that despicable Roe versus Wade case. Therefore, we cannot reason that the degree of dependency of the embryo is a meaningful distinction when it comes to determining whether it is as worthy of protection as any other human. And one more philosophical claim. You will hear some folks say, okay, the unborn is human, but it's not a person yet. Well, where does that come from? That's just an ad hoc claim pulled out of the sky, I got nothing else kind of remark. A remark to which apologist Greg Kokel replies, what's the difference between a human and a person? If you can kill a human being who's not a person, but you can't take the life of a human is, then you better be sure you know the difference. And, of course, there is no difference. Go to the next slide. So the obvious conclusion arrived at by study of Scripture, science, and philosophy is that the unborn is fully human, and therefore we can apply the following pro-life logic. This is very simple for you and me. It is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Therefore, abortion is morally wrong. It's very simple. Abortion is not a question of the woman's body. It's not a question of a woman's right to choose. It's not a woman's right to privacy. Abortion kills unborn human beings. And having settled that question, we're prepared to apply the text in Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs, to this practice of abortion. So it's time to be honest about your courage. 
Have you in the past fainted in the day of adversity? Has your strength been small to push back against those who claim abortion is anything other than the killing of an innocent human being? Have you kept silent when you had the chance to defend the unborn? Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. God has not given His people a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The wisdom of God says, Rescue the unborn from being taken away to death. Or hold back those who are stumbling, stumbling to the slaughter. So let's consider the ones who are actually doing away. Who are the people or who are the groups, what are the institutions that are doing this taking away to death? And I want to add this too. There's more than sort of one death happening. So there's the physical death of that unborn. But there is a death in a sense that happens to the woman that has an, un, that has an abortion. There is a death happening. There are groups of people leading these women away. There is a form of death that happens to a woman that, that I can't even begin to speak to, I don't think. But I don't have to be able to give you God's mind on it. Let's have the next slide, please. So our first group is politicians. Politicians are those where we will find those who take away the unborn to death. That is Governor Andrew Cuomo recently signing a bill that removes all kinds of restrictions on abortion right up until birth. And furthermore, makes it legal for medical personnel, other than doctors, to, f- to perform the highly dangerous surgical abortion of the unborn at late stages. Look at those smiling faces. The Roman Catholic Church will not excommunicate that man. Nor will they deny him communion. Recently, as many of you know, the governor of Virginia in a radio interview expressed his view of abortion that included the right of the mother and doctor to determine to kill the infant after it had been born and made comfortable. Now, as horrible as that sounds, it is not new. John G. West, in his book, Darwin Day in America, writes, Nobel laureates Francis Crick and James Watson, so back in 1953, Francis Crick and James Watson discovered the double helix structure of DNA. They proposed that infants not be declared officially alive until three days after birth in order to allow the elimination of defective babies. As Watson explained in 1973 interview, if a child were not declared alive until three days after their birth, then all parents could be allowed the choice that only a few are given under the present system. Next slide, please. Special interest groups who make big money and get big votes for providing abortion. Planned Parenthood foremost among them. Planned Parenthood provides more abortions than anyone else in the country. Planned Parenthood fights harder than anyone else to continue to provide them. Don't buy the lie. Most of them don't provide mammography. Most of them do a lot of those things. This is where the buck is here. Notice the lies on some of those signs. You can't see them, but standing up for the full woman's equality, ensuring full access, equal access to reproductive care. We have the next slide. This is World Trade Center One, New York City. This is the new building which replaced the one taken down by terrorists who killed 2,900 people, about the same number of precious unborn humans killed by abortion every day. Lit up in pink. To celebrate death. The cruel irony of that building being used to celebrate such a practice. 
By the way, six states already allow abortion without restriction up until birth. New York makes seven. Because in New York, they do it their way. It's like... These are called the in-your-face groups, and you can't see them here. There's a website called shoutyourabortion.org. Stories by women who celebrate their abortions and encourage you to have one. Some of the story titles are, My abortion was gentle, irreverent, and empowering. Quote, I've had three abortions and I'm not sorry. End quote. Quote, fortunate and privileged to have had my abortion. End quote. And yes, these groups are in the minority, but they are in your face. And in our age of social media, a small presence is all that's needed to promote irreversible harm. The next slide. And these are the ones that we find in our churches, I think, mostly. Mostly, although I'm going to show you some bold exceptions. The deceived, the hurting, and the confused. Unintended pregnancy represents an immediate threat to the woman's sense of autonomy and personal identity. Here are some quotes from an article titled, A New Understanding of the Trauma of Abortion. By the way, if you can't see those, this lady on the left is holding up a sign. I miss my clump of cells scratched out. I miss my blob of tissue scratched out. I miss my child. The middle one says, I did it so your daddy wouldn't leave. Your daddy left anyway. And then the last one, no one told me I'd have regrets. Again, here are a few uh, quotes from an article titled A New Understanding of the Trauma of Abortion. Now, these are pro-life people attempting to understand the underlying emotional and psychological reasons why people make particular decisions, in this case, the decision to abort. And this information is of paramount importance to centers like Your Options Medical and other like-minded organizations as they minister to women in unplanned or crisis pregnancy in an attempt to minimize the incidence of abortion. Quote, They fear that who they are and who they are destined to be in the future will be destroyed if they carry their pregnancies to term. Their conflicts focus more on self-identity issues than on right and wrong. That this is a powerful force at work in every single one of us. There are sins, there are things which every one of us commit because to not commit them somehow would compromise what we consider to be our true identity. That might be a man that ends up stepping into a strip joint with a bunch of other people he works with. Because his identity is he wants to be a man. He wants to be well respected by his peers. Right? So that kind of a thing. I don't mean to minimize by comparing one to the other. But it's a powerful force. Quote, She has no emotional attachment to the pregnancy because having a child does not fit her identity at this point in her life. The abortion becomes an isolated event in her life and she appears to experience very little guilt, end quote. And then, quote, fear associated with negative judgments from others, in particular parents, this is a widely researched paper, and fear of destitution if the pregnancy is revealed, lead these women to choose abortions despite their belief that abortion is murder. You see how powerful these forces are at work? And in such emotional and psychological states, women with unintended pregnancies are very vulnerable to messages that will help them numb the pain of guilt and shame and fear, which leads them to killing their own unborn child. It's your body. It's your choice. It's only a clump of cells. Remember that brief video that I opened with. 
Your baby deserves to be wanted, deserves to be loved, deserves to be a choice. What a seductive message that is. The human depravity and demonic intellect behind that ad is staggering. Now the serpent was more crafty than in any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, It's your body. It's your choice. Men have nothing to do with this issue. You're being oppressed by the male patriarchy. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Next slide, please. Colleges and universities. Remember, we're reviewing now those groups and individuals in those, in those collections of groups where we find, in keeping with the text, those who are taking away victims to death. This is from a website called rewire.news. The following from an article titled, Pro-Choice and Christian, How I Unlearned What My Church Taught Me. Written by a young woman that grew up being churched in what seems to be from the article, A Healthy Church. Quote, it wasn't until I got to college that I really started talking to people with various points of view. I started getting into feminist media, began educating myself on the issues. I then realized just how wrong my way of thinking around reproductive rights really was. If someone feels like ending their pregnancy is what they need to do, then there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to, and no reason why God would look down on them for it. Next slide, please. Sadly enough, many churches are involved in leading away the innocent to death and not holding back those that are going to slaughter. This group here, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, quote, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice's New Theologies Project introduces more voices of progressive religious scholars and theologians into the public debate over reproductive health, rights, and justice, which has been dominated by religious conservatives. Our prophetic voice in support of reproductive health, rights, and justice affirms a woman's moral authority to make decisions about her own body. It challenges voices that seek to suppress women's God-given free will. Again, only one question. What is the unborn? Now, what is our part in the rescue mission? What can you and I do? What must you and I do? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was imprisoned and eventually hanged naked for his involvement in plans to take down Hitler. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. So what do we do? Well, you support the Your Options ministry. Money is a big part of the fight. You heard our sister talk about the work they do. Salaries, machines, space, provisions. Give your money. I'm so thankful to our church that our church supports your options. And I challenge our church today to pledge to double our annual support. And I appeal to all of us here today to put money in that plate before you leave today. 
It was announced ahead of time that there would be a special offering. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. 2 Corinthians 8, 11-12. It was a very tender scene in the closing moments of the movie Schindler's List. Based on a true story, in German-occupied Poland during World War II, Oskar Schindler gradually becomes concerned for his Jewish workforce after witnessing their persecution by the Nazi Germans. And throughout the course of the movie, he uses his considerable financial means to purchase Jewish workers for his factory, thereby providing a way of escape for scores of Jews who otherwise would have been exterminated. And in the final scene, the war is ended, and the character Stern, played by Ben Kingsley, and many of Schindler's factory workers he rescued are saying goodbye to Oscar Schindler. And Stern hands Schindler a little gold ring for his finger with a Hebrew inscription from the Talmud that reads, Whoever saves one life saves the world. And then the following exchange ensues. Schindler then whispers to Stern, I could have got more. If I just, I don't know if I just, I could have got more. Oscar, there are 1,200 people who are alive today because of you. Look at them. If I'd made more money, I threw away so much money. You have no idea. If I just, there will be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. Shinro then looks at his fancy car. He says, this car... He says, Gareth would have bought this car. Why did I keep this car? Ten people right there. Ten more I could have got. And he rips off the gold lapel he's wearing. He says, two people. This is gold. Two more people. He would have given me two for it. At least one. He would have given me one more. One more person. A person stern for this. One more. I could have gotten one more person and I didn't. And he completely breaks down, weeping convulsively, and the emotion he's been holding in for years, spilling out, and the guilt consuming him. And he says, they killed so many people. And then Stern is weeping him, and they're embracing him, and they killed so many people. You can learn pro-life apologetics. Learn how to respond to the reasons people use to excuse killing innocent human beings. I provided a sign-up in the back. If enough people show interest, I will gladly teach you. Learn how to respond to the rape, incest, poverty rationale. Learn why we can say that it's actually morally acceptable for a woman if her life is is in peril. Speak up every time you hear pro-choice ignorance information. Every time. Every time. Pray, 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 and pray daily. For life, for protection, for the ministries, for wicked politicians. Pray for women that have had abortions suffering in silence. Pray that God would drive them to the post of board of counseling they can get, whether the abortion was 30 days ago or 30 years ago. The statistics on this are real. It doesn't matter how long ago it was. You will not outgrow that pain. And pray for the men too, not just the women. Listen, our culture is saturated in misandry. 
We hear about misogyny all the time. Our culture is saturated in misandry, which is the contempt or prejudice against men. See Tony for a copy of my message to the men recently about the ways in which traditional masculinity is maligned and the impact it is having on men. Mothers, your sons are up against it. Legally, men have been deeply traumatized by this issue. They've been told you have no right and can do nothing to protect your unborn child. You sit down and you shut up. Consider opening your home to a young woman in a crisis pregnancy that has nowhere to go or nowhere to turn. Maybe you've got a spare room. We have to support young men and women in this time of regardless of the immoral decisions that may have led to the pregnancy. That doesn't matter. The article I mentioned previously also spoke to the importance of, quote, the admired woman, end quote, the admired woman, in deciding not to terminate a pregnancy. So, quote, respondents say that this admired woman is non-judgmental, caring, compassionate, a good listener, encouraging, has overcome obstacles in her life, is approachable and manages her life effectively. Perhaps you are the admired woman. Sister Kelly Wilcox, who is the executive director of Clearway Clinic in Worcester, said to me, we cannot be whitewashed tombs. Are we in sackcloth and ash? Are we weeping before God? Perhaps you're called to just weep and to beg God's mercy that He would grant repentance to our nation. Talk to Marissa and see what advice she can give you. Encourage her in the ministry. Brothers and sisters and friends visiting among us, if the unborn is not human, created in the image of God, and precious and worthy of life for that reason alone, then I just wasted an hour and a half. But the unborn is exactly that from the moment of conception as I have labored to persuade and equip you with a human being worthy of protection in life and love. And if Christ was not crucified and was not raised from the dead, then we have no power to do anything about abortion. But in fact, Jesus Christ was crucified for sinners. When Joseph of Arimathea was given permission to take Jesus down from that cross, the naked deeply lacerated, bloody, flesh-torn, cross-twisted and concorded carcass of our Lord bore a striking and haunting resemblance to the remains of a late third-term human abortion. We cry out to the Lord, Oh God, what kind of creation can kill over 65 million innocent human beings in a span of 50 years? And the reply from heaven is, The very same creation that would torture and kill is God. You see, we have to kill God before we can kill an innocent human being. And each of us was born with the very nature to do that. Can you see the exchange that took place on that cross? Him for you and Him for me. God in our place. He bore our sins in His own body on that tree so that we who have a nature sufficient to kill God and His innocent creatures would ourselves die to sin and live for righteousness. And three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb and left that blood-soaked reminder of death and hell that he was clothed in behind forever. Only the gospel of Christ can infuse us with the degree of divine love necessary to do what must be done. My dear sisters, 
Beloved in the Lord, if you have had an abortion or several abortions, how are you doing this morning? Do you know that you are safe right here and right now and that you are deeply loved by our God and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and by me and by your brethren? The thief has come and taken and robbed and killed and destroyed, but not entirely. For the Lord Jesus has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If you are still suffering in silence, the time of your healing is at hand. Scripture says if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. There's no condemnation for you. Condemn yourself no longer. I know it's not that easy, but faith will get you there. If you've repented, then the Son has set you free, and free indeed. Go and tell what wonderful things the Lord has done for you. Or find a trusted sister and confess, even if you were already a Christian when it happened. And my dear brothers, beloved in the Lord, have you been involved in abortion? How are you doing this morning? Do you know that you are safe right here and right now, and that you are deeply loved by God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the brethren? The thief has come and taken, and robbed and killed and destroyed, but not entirely, for the Lord Jesus has come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. If you're still suffering in silence, the time of your healing is at hand. Scripture says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. There is no condemnation for you. Condemn yourself no longer. If you've repented, the Son has set you free, free indeed. Go and tell what wonderful things the Lord has done for you. If you're here and you've never repented of sin, not just the sin of abortion, but a life marked by ignoring God, living in vanity and pride, caring not that Christ was crucified, if you have not asked that Jesus' death be your death and His life your life, that you might live for God, then there is no one to rescue you when upon your death you are dragged away to hell, screaming and headed for eternal suffering. You have aborted your own soul. You need to be redeemed. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God has said it. Don't leave this morning without that. I want to end with a brief video. The song is Just As I Am. And it is set to scenes from the movie The Passion of the Christ. Ignore the very Roman Catholic script written thing that Peter says to Mary if you even catch it. And sisters, if this applies to you, I want you to imagine yourself as the woman about to be stoned. And I want you to see her bruised face and the self-righteous Pharisees as the spiritual and emotional wounds and condemnation that you may still be heaping upon yourself. But the scenes have a place for any sinner. If it's not on the uh, desktop, sister, it's still on that, still on the uh, thumb drive.
Uh, as I pray, I'm going to ask the music team to come forward to lead us in worshipful song. But before I want to do that, I want to close with a poem titled, The Unborns. The Unborn's First Psalm. Now, this is written from the perspective of an unborn child moments before being aborted. And it, it follows the tone and the meter and the rhythm of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my true womb. I fear no haunt. He makes me smile when I hear your voice. I float in the love of his water. He has made me whole. He saves me from this unrighteousness. I'm his namesake. Yea, though you are shocked at this valley of death, do not despair. Your prayers and your tears, they comfort me. Father's prepared a playpen for me, and my mother is not my enemy. He'll rub me with baby oil. Let not your anger run over. Dear friends, let passion with mercy define you all the days of your life. And soon we will worship Lord Jesus forever. And Father, that's... All we have to say about these things this morning. Um.